0: Stamp duty is an unexpected cost that is associated with buying property. It's tens of thousands of dollars we have to give to the State Revenue Office for the privilege of buying property. And investors get slugged even more. Even with prices of property going up, the percentage of stamp duty is unchanged, making it an outstanding earner for the State Government. Today... We're going to find out how we can make the most of the current stamp duty concessions when buying property in Victoria. You're listening to Real Estate Right. Top experts talk about how to buy, sell, rent, and invest right. Your host is Sue Langder. Have you seen our cars on the road? Yes, Real Estate Right is getting so big that we have zippy little cars advertising the podcast and our real estate copywriting service, Real Copyright. If you see our cars on the road, give us a wave or a toot to show us how much you love Real Estate Right. Founding owner of KLM Conveyancing, Kiani Mills, has created a unique and successful conveyancing service with offices in Victoria, New South Wales and Queensland. Kiani started her business seven years ago while single-handedly raising two young children, building her reputation through drive, determination, trust and accountability to the business it is today. Member of the Year at BNI, a global networking group in 2019, welcome Kiani. How are you this morning? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for coming along. Now, how's the market going? Anything exciting happening?
1: It's crazy at the moment. It's excitement everywhere. Every single week, I am blown away at the results that we're seeing, the excitement in the market. Now, we do know that our um property industry goes in peaks and troughs and I think we are in a big, big peak at the moment. So now is kind of the time where we're sitting tight and going, oh, h- how long is it going to last for? But, I mean, all of the signs are pointing in a great direction and it doesn't seem like it's slowing down or stopping and we've got a heap more vendors coming onto the market this week, which is exciting. Yeah. So buyers now may have even more of a, I guess, a realistic chance because I just I felt like buyers were really... Um, I guess outnumbered. Yes, because there wasn't enough properties for everybody out there, and then the properties that were out there were selling for and are selling for mm-hmm. pretty high dollars. So I feel like now it's going to hopefully balance things out a little bit. And
0: yeah, they were sort of saying that there's like one in for every property that's in the market. There's six buyers out there. That's I'm insane. Not, I'm not surprised. And look, mm-hmm. I mean we we um, do
1: contract reviews for. Victoria, New South Wales and Queensland. And I mean, while yes, we're predominantly in in the suburbs, Melbourne, but when I've got four or five clients that are sending me the same contract, that tells me that it's pretty quiet in the market. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's pretty insane, really, when yeah. you think about it.
1: Yeah. They're and all going
0: the, for the same property.
1: And when we're one conveyance, we're out of thousands. Yeah. So <laughs> if if they you know, if that is it's a very, very small likelihood that it would happen and it's happening really really frequently
0: yeah well mm. it makes your job easier because you've already done it yeah exactly <laughs> i enjoy
1: it although the conversation we have with clients um you know well yes it's about the contract and the property it, it's about their circumstances and what they need so you know that kind of conversation it just it does make me go oh yes great I'm confident here or um, (laughs) you know I've already done this one so great I've got the answers but um, yeah it is a lot of relationship building at the start before we even talk about the property so.
0: Obviously it is an expensive process like buying a property and there's obviously the government payment of stamp duty that we need to pay we are talking about stamp duty concessions so how can we get a stamp duty concession?
1: Yeah, look, I think COVID also has been a great addition to our stamp duty savings because we've seen them broaden a lot more. Predominantly for the last few years now it's been that you must be a first home buyer or use the property as your principal place of residence. But yeah. now we've seen the stamp duty savings or concessions open up to investors, which is lovely, for brand-new builds and um, off-the-plan properties. So that's a really positive thing for them and um, also to unestablished buildings, but it's a smaller, smaller concession. But most of the time the concessions really do favour owner-occupiers as over-investors.
0: Yeah, the, yeah. usually investors have to pay that tiny little bit more, don't they?
1: Yeah, and then we've yeah. got the foreign buyers too. So the foreign buyers have the extra stamp duty that's oh. payable on top as well. So, you know, we made it very hard for our foreigners to bring money in and buy property. They've got to pay through the nose. But, yeah, predominantly our investors really have been paying that little bit extra.
0: Yeah. I was doing some calculations with my mum the other day about, like, there was a hundred, was it? 1,200 private sales over the weekend. Mm. And if each one of those attracted $30,000 worth a stamp duty, the government would be getting yeah. like, oh, I think, I can't remember, I think it was like $180 million just for the weekend. Do yeah. you know
1: what I mean? Yeah. It's, um, it's, I still, in all honesty, cannot give you a solid answer or justification as to what the stamp duty is actually going towards or um, where we can go, oh, that's okay, our hard-earned dollars are going to here or, you know, the stamp duty is being used for X. I mean, obviously our government has a big pool of money that it goes into, but, yeah, I still haven't yet been able to wrap my head around or answer a question quite clearly for (laughs) a client about, so what is it actually for? Hmm." Yeah,
0: yeah. (laughs) Well, I believe it's close to 50% of all income that the state government makes, isn't it? Pretty much, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So obviously it goes towards state-funded things. Exactly,
1: yeah. It goes in the pool and goes in the kitty. It goes in the pool. You know, I guess after COVID where we've had JobKeeper and JobSeeker and things like that, I'm guessing that's all part of it. So Mm -hmm. we we just cross our fingers and hope that it's going to a good cause.
0: (laughs) Yes. Yes, definitely. So. What types of concessions are there out there? Yeah, awesome. So our
1: main concessions that we see, obviously, first home buyers. So um, properties worth up to six hundred thousand dollars, first home buyers mm-hmm. get zero stamp duty. So yeah, that's a nice. really massive, massive one for first home buyers, and it's helping our new buyers get into the market. There's um, mm-hmm. obviously a couple of other grants at the moment. Now these aren't stamp duty; these are government grants. So um, yeah. I guess the intricacies around these grants need to be discussed with the government and on their website. But there is the home builder grants, which is fantastic. And then we've even got, yeah. so if we're looking at um, say house and land package or an off the plan, sometimes there are cashback incentives and um, rebates available as well. So that kind of tips everything over and over and over. But that's the, the main or the biggest concession that you can get as a first home buyer. Then we've got a principal place of residence concession that um, people who are not first home buyers but are going to be using the property as a principal place of residence can access. And that's on a sliding scale up until um, it was up until 550,000. But what we saw come in during COVID was this fantastic concession that does not discriminate against owner occupiers, first home buyers, or investors. And we saw that for a property worth up to $1 million. There was, mm. um, yeah, concessions available for investors and first home buyers of fifty percent for a new build, and then twenty five percent on an established property. So this is an amazing for up to a million dollars. You know, you could be saving you know thirteen, 000, fourteen thousand dollars.
0: Yeah, because stamp duty under a million dollars. Uh, million dollar property is about fifty six thousand dollars. That's about right, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yep, yep. Um, so fifty six, you know, take 25%, away twenty five percent, it's yep. yeah. As you said, it's around thirteen fourteen thousand yeah. dollars.
1: Yeah, yep. It's it's a nice little chunk of savings, and um, yeah. I mean, we did see that that price bracket of properties where we're looking at our, and the scary thing was a couple of weeks ago, we were had properties that were listed at say seven eighty to eight thirty range so people were going to these auctions and then they were going for over a million so Mm. where people thought they were in that sweet spot where yeah it's going to go for a little bit more and I've got that ability to save you know ten thousand dollars or something like that it just it just pushed it out and those people that needed or relied on that concession then got got hit out so again yeah. it's just one of the peaks that we're going through at the moment so um yeah. those people should sit tight don't don't run away <laughs> they will come yeah. back down again you will be able to buy again but um, yeah look i mean they're great concessions if you can get it to stay under that million dollar yeah. mark
0: now i guess the one thing that i suppose is my biggest bugbear is that stamp duty really hasn't changed in terms of percentages over at least the last 20 years since I've been building houses. So, for instance, it's on a sliding scale, but it's essentially around 6%, mm, yeah. isn't Yeah. it? Yeah. So, you know, but then a million-dollar house 20 years ago oh. and a million-dollar house now are two completely different things. 100%. Has there been any changes over the last 20 years? Not really, has it?
1: No. Look, I mean, and, you know, these days, especially the last kind of 10 years everything's done via an online calculator. So, um, you know, the old way of calculating it, you wouldn't even know if, you know,
0: it just goes straight to the cap. I think it was like 4% up to 250 and then it was like 4.5 up to say 500 and then sort of I think once it hit like 600 it was a flat 6%. But then you had that sliding scale just before you got to 600 Then it was anything over 600 was... Mm -hmm. That's yeah. what I recall. Yeah,
1: um, and there are there are um, definitely milestones that it needs to reach yeah. before it jumps up in percentage. But yeah. from my experience, as I said, it hasn't really changed much, at least over the yeah. last 10 years.
0: Yeah, so it should really be about 3 or 4%. Mm.
1: No. Well, you're right. If we're basing it on yeah. the value of yeah. real estate now as opposed yeah. to real estate back then, then 100 yeah. But yeah. when people are paying more, it's putting more in the government's pockets so I dare Mm. say that that's a benefit so let's not go backwards.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough now with these stamp duty concessions are there any deadlines that we need to um, be aware of to get this stamp duty? Yeah look
1: in Victoria stamp duty has to be paid at settlement so If you have a bank, the bank will take that stamp duty money and pay stamp duty on your behalf. If you don't, your conveyancer will do that. And technically you've got 30 days after settlement to do it legally, but rule of thumb, that the funds have to be available and in in clear cash on the day of settlement. And yeah. then the processing then has 30 days to be processed. So it's yeah. not... I'm going to come to settlement less $30,000 for my stamp duty just because I don't have it, the bank will turn around Mm -hmm. and go, no, we're not settling. We need to see those clear funds in your account. But then the bank or the commander has got 30 days to process the stamp duty payment to the State Revenue Office and make sure it's all done. So Mm -hmm. while the technicality gives you 30 days, I would never, ever, ever, ever rely on not having those funds available at settlement because you won't settle. Yeah. So they need to be there straight away. Whereas Queensland's a little bit different. Queensland needs to be paid before settlement within 30 Uh days of of an unconditional contract or, you know, at at settlement, depending on how quickly settlement is. So New South Wales is just like us. But, um, yeah, yeah, again, we had this conversation last time. Queensland's a little bit backwards.
0: (laughs) They are a bit backwards. (laughs) So, so like, some of these stamp duty concessions that, like, for instance, the 25% and the 50%. Yep. They, they have deadlines, don't they, for... Um, yeah, so they in themselves, they the,
1: the 25%, the 50% have only been put in till the 30th of June. So you have to sign to a the contract before the 30th of June, yeah. They did get put in and then they got extended, I guess, around the same time we went back through lockdown or one of our COVID okay. experiences. But they have you have to sign a contract before the thirtieth of June to get access to that. So okay, um, it's
0: not about settlement; it's just purely about signing the contract.
1: So yeah, the stamp duty changes every time. There's a stamp duty change that comes through. They make it based on the day that we sign the contract because yeah. we can't control settlement, especially with off-the-plans. So mm. the building, the building grants, the government grants, they're a little bit different. They're based on contract signing dates and build start dates and things like that, whereas state revenue office stamp duty, we always, you know, in I think it was 2017 off the top of my head where we removed the investor off-the-plan stamp duties, it was yeah. any contract signed before 30 June got it, any contract signed from 1st of July onwards, no more stamp duty concessions. So we oh, had yeah. a massive influx of people signing contracts right before 30 June.
0: Six weeks. You've
1: still got six weeks, obviously. Six weeks. Still got six weeks, so go nuts. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in terms of um, deadlines, obviously we've spoken about payment and then there is the cut-off yeah. time, Um I think it's just really important that people, you won't get notified. One of the things that people get confused about too is that when you're signing your loan documents or when you're talking about worst-case scenario figures for settlement, you'll always be notified of the full stamp duty amount. So you'll notice in the loan documents it says stamp duty, you know, say $25,000. But knowing full well that you're a first home buyer or um, eligible for a concession we, as your conveyances, we have an application portal directly with the State Revenue Office, and we are the ones that formulate those concessions and exemptions, I okay. get the duty a- approved by the State Revenue Office, and then that duty statement goes back to the bank. So a lot of people get confused and go, oh, my gosh, my loan documents are wrong. Why does it say full stamp duty? And
0: mm-hmm. that's
1: because the actual State Revenue Office needs to verify and confirm that you're eligible for those concessions and discounts verify it through a duty statement and then that goes to the bank and this only happens you know closer towards settlement loan documents Mm. happen right at the very start so people get a little bit confused sometimes with that but the state revenue office oh absolutely and it makes sense but you know banks are conservative and at the time that they're filling in the loan documents yes you've said you're eligible but i would too (laughs) you might not actually know what you're entitled to if you haven't done your homework so The bank aren't going to take your word on it as much as, you know, I'm sure everyone out there is trustworthy. They're going to take the word of the state revenue office, who is the person that they have to pay the stamp duty money to. So, yeah, yeah, I say, you know, don't stress. Conservative will apply to stamp duty concessions and exemptions. The bank will then, you know, update their records on the back end and the figures at settlement will reflect that. But there can sometimes be some confusion around that from a timeline perspective. Yeah. Yeah, understandably,
0: yeah. Um, So, we will have a short break and come back to Kiani about things outside the square when it comes to stamp duty concessions. You're listening to Real Estate Right, and today we have conveyancer Kiani Mills from KLM Convainting to talk to us about stamp duty concessions. So now can you get stamp duty concessions if you buy out your ex-partner? That's a really good question and I think one of the the
1: trickiest things that we come up against is separations, breakdowns of relationship, transfer between spouses for tax purposes, related parties. So mother, son, father, daughter, um, cousins, anything like that. So this whole little bundle is is technically, we call these our transfers. There may be a contract involved between the parties, especially if, say, mum and dad are selling the house to their daughter or something like that. But these are, these are our transfers of ownership. And transfers of ownership are a little bit different to purchasing um, purely because the State Revenue Office in some situations needs to see a little bit more to verify that there is a, a rebate or a concession available. So rule yeah. of thumb, if you are transferring property in accordance with a court order or breakdown of relationship or separation or something like that, um, if you're entitled to, you won't pay stamp duty again. So you've already paid yeah. it when you bought it. So husband and yeah. wife, Joe and, Joe and Sarah have bought a house So in order for them to then transfer it, John and Sarah have separated. Sarah's keeping the house. In accordance with a breakdown of relationship, the transfer of the marital home goes to Sarah, no stamp duty. So if and when they get to a situation where they're transferring an investment property, an investment property is treated differently. So, again, this only changed a few years ago. And it used to be that as, as long as a marital couple was changing the ownership on any property that they owned together, it was exempt. And Mm -hmm. a couple of years ago, the State Revenue Office went, well, no, that's not fair. They're making money on the investment property. While, yes, they're in a marital situation, the investment property is earning an income and is, you know, an extra revenue stream. Therefore, if any ownership changes on that, even if it goes from 50-50 to 75-25, whoever is inheriting the extra percentage of the property must pay stamp duty on that property. Mm. So on the 75-25 example, they've gone from 50-50. So if Sarah is inheriting 25% extra, she pays stamp duty on 25% of the value of the property. And the value of the property is not determined by a bank valuation. The State Revenue Office won't accept a bank valuation. They deem Mm. them to be too conservative they will only accept a market appraisal from a licensed real estate agent because that represents true market value.
0: Not even a a, a licensed valuer over a market appraisal?
1: Yeah, no. So market appraisal and, look, I mean, great for the clients because this is a free service that all real estate agents offer. So it's not actually costing them any extra money. But in their eyes, valuers in any means are conservative and they'll go based on comparable sales in the area Whereas a real estate agent looks at the market and goes, I know this, you know, obviously, yes, comparable sales have to be taken into consideration. But um, at the moment, who knows what could happen? Um, Mm. And market appraisal comes to us with a range. So it might be, say, 900 to a million uh, or 900 to 950. We get to take the bottom of the range as the suggested value of the property. And then we'd have to calculate the 25% on the 900 and she'd pay stamp duty on that 25%. Wow.
0: Yeah. So as an investment, this is a good segue into this next question, can (laughs) you claim back (laughs) that stamp
1: duty in your tax return? That's a really good question and this is one where I think I even need to look into the answer to this because this is definitely I'd be speaking to an accountant or your your tax lawyer about this because, I mean, the more we can get back, the better. And if there's oh, yeah. any way to get clients their stamp duty back, then, then brilliant. I mean, we get depreciation schedules for our properties and we get to you know, earn some money back at tax time on our depreciation of that asset. So maybe, I don't actually know. Um, once it kind of comes to the end of settlement pass, we, we pass it off to the accountant and we have the accountant's assistance as well. So one of the other things that everyone should take into consideration when they're buying an investment property is who's going to own that investment property because if we yeah. need to change the ownership, we can change it before we've actually settled and there's, you know, there might be a small fee f- you know, from the vendor's solicitor's side. Um, mm-hmm. We don't actually charge a fee for that. But if you settled and then a week later the accountant goes, oh, no, that needs to be in the family trust or mm-hmm. that needs to be in one name, not two names for tax purposes, you really can shoot yourself in the foot so yeah. no one wants to pay any more than we need to in any instance so <laughs> a yeah. bit like before but, you know do your homework and make sure you know who's going to be signing that contract
0: yes beforehand yes yeah. be, uh, just and look for the future thinking no
1: 100 percent. and this is where financials times,
0: yeah. yeah still keep this property
1: exactly um, and, and Financial advisors are brilliant at doing that as well. They really do look at the overall picture, whereas sometimes, I mean, accountants do that as well, but it's very easy to get stuck on right now. And, you know, say, for instance, there was two kids involved. One was going to be turning 18. say, so, you know, One was turning 18 and one was turning 21 and you wanted to have those properties set up so they could be, you know, transferred to each one of those, then great. Let's put it in a family trust now so that in 10 years time, we've got the flexibility to do it. Whereas, mm. you know, the the rule of so and I have this great story about um, a good friend of mine and he openly speaks about it all of the time. His job now is, is helping people um, buy property smart and and look at the, the forever goal, you know, how do you, where do you want to retire and working backwards? And he said he goes, um, you know, I was a single parent with three um, children and in my mind he was, was a tradie I just needed to buy property and if I bought property and got us, you know, set up, I'd be successful and I'd be a really great dad and I'd be able to give my kids everything I wanted. So he just Mm. went out and bought property and bought property, ended up with five properties until someone, I can't remember who, went to him going, so why why are you holding your property like this? He went, oh, I don't know, it's just all in my name. And then he spoke to an accountant and said, what should I do? And he's like, oh, wow. Oh my gosh, you're paying so much more than you really should be. You're doing this, you're doing this, you're doing this. And he goes, well, I didn't know any different. I just went and bought houses in my name as I did. So he spoke to a mortgage broker, a financial planner, an accountant, and learned how to do it correctly, changed the whole structure, saved himself so much money every year on these properties. And he's like, I just didn't know. So his job now is teaching people to do that, which is amazing, but you don't know what you don't know. And the assumption is, and our grandparents would have done it. Just put it in your name. Yeah, you know, just put it in your name. It's just the way life goes. So, yeah, yeah, I think homework is so important, and no one, no one wants to face stamp duty in the first place, let alone paying it twice for accidentally putting it in the wrong name or something like that. So, yeah, yeah, I think advice from um, a financial planner, an accountant, and a mortgage broker is
0: the three eight the eighteen. Yeah, definitely. So, are there any other ways we can reduce our stamp duty? I have had questions before, and there
1: was one thing I wanted to touch on earlier when we were talking about the transfers as well—is um, related party transfers. Yeah. So, mum and dad often think that selling a property to their son or daughter is going to um, avoid, you know, family avoid. Dis- I mean, avoid stamp duty or give them discounts or anything like that. And it's really, really difficult. Because at the end of the day, as I said before, the banks are the ones that pay the stamp duty to the State Revenue Office. Some lenders out there are happy. So I'm doing a deal at the moment with ANZ Bank and ANZ Bank are like, yep, no worries. If you can prove that mum and dad are selling the house to daughter, daughter is entitled. She's a first home buyer. She's going to be living in it. She's going to be satisfying the principal place of residence. She's going to get the property. It's under $600,000, 000, 0 stamp duty. If you can prove that with the document that we provide from the State Revenue Office, then great. We will, she doesn't pay stamp duty at settlement. Yeah. There's lenders out there that will turn around and say, look, we are not comfortable applying for this concession on your behalf now. You will have to pay the stamp duty in full at settlement on that $600,000 or under six hundred, dollars whatever it is. And then you must make an application to the State Revenue Office after settlement rebate claim that back again so you get it paid back and that can take between six and eight weeks so sometimes it's a bit of a mixed bag and before we do any work on it we go straight back to the broker and go can you confirm if the lender is going to need stanchery up front because sometimes Uh again if we haven't factored in that we may need to pay it up front then it can kill the whole deal as such but um yeah yeah, sometimes mums and dads you're better off putting it in the will being very clear in the will and just writing it out and waiting um other yeah. times you know if you've got it set up straight and the kids have got enough cash in the bank and have everything ready to go then brilliant it's great but there's a lot yeah. to do and that's why i said you know at the start out my conversation with clients is a fact finding investigation yeah. because they might think the right thing to do is to sell them the property but in actual fact they may not actually be able to service the loan or have the cash available uh, or whatever it might be so yeah. there's just a couple of little um intricacies there that is a it is 100 case-by-case basis on yeah, this yeah. scenario the blanket rule is kind of you know if buts wise and maybes coming out of yeah. <laughs> everywhere <laughs>
0: um now you did touch on wills just for a second there mm. if if a house is bequeathed to somebody in a will does that include stamp duty
1: no, zero stamp duty. Yeah, good question. Good question. Yes, deceased estates um, in accordance with probate will be transferred at zero stamp duty. Nice. Yeah. That's a nice reliever. <laughs> that's Correct. Sorry. And that's why, as I said, you know, sometimes it is best to just let the natural process follow itself out if there's no real benefit in, or if they're going to lose, not lose, but if they're going to have to contribute $50,000 now, to pay stamp duty and, you know, pay the difference on their loan because they're going to be getting a loan from the bank or just sitting tight and keeping that $50,000 cash to do something else, then, you know, the big picture. It's all looking to the future.
0: (laughs) But say it's been bequeathed to four kids and then one decides to buy the other three out. Yep. Would they then have to pay stamp duty or not? Well,
1: that one's, we would, we would definitely ask for an exemption on that one because the way it works is, as I was saying before, if you're yeah. going to inherit extra percentage of a property, then technically stamp duty should be payable. You
0: may need to pay that 75% of the property. Correct.
1: But look, and again, if they're going to be living in it and satisfying all of the requirements, hmm principal place of residence, owner-occupier, things like that, then we can definitely... There's complex assessments. So I've had scenarios too where, um, say, mum has put a property in her name for son, but son has paid every mortgage repayment, every council rate, every water rates, every, everything. They have managed and held that property. And when we set the loan up at the very, very start, it was very clear that property is being purchased for this reason, to help son who doesn't he wasn't able to get a loan at the moment, complex assessment stat decks from everybody. We can send it through, and the state revenue office can verify if that person was maintaining the property, um, you know, covering all the bills, acting as if it was their own, which yeah. it was. And the mother was just facilitating a loan on their behalf. That too can get zero stamp duty, or get a refund of stamp duty as well. Right. So. There are complex, again, case-by-case case basis on this scenario. We can, you know, ask me the weird and wonderful questions and we can do our due diligence and find out.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, it's never a no until the State Revenue Office tells us about no. So yeah. <laughs> sometimes it doesn't hurt to try, especially in those circumstances. I would 100% be um, taking that to complex assessment because none of them physically have held the property for any other reason yeah. than they're a beneficiary of a will. Yeah. So... Yeah, I think I'm I'm pretty comfortable with that depending on the circumstances yeah, Um, they all
0: hold. But, yeah, yeah. Sounds good. Well, thanks again, Kiani, for all your wisdom and Uh, know-how. So, Kiani, do you have any special offers for Real Estate Right listeners?
1: Always. I love coming on the show. Thank you for having me. So anyone that comes through um, Real Estate Right, just say the name and we'll be offering 20% off the total bill for your service
0: oh good so how can we contact you?
1: Well, look, social media is a pretty big thing these days, especially through COVID when we had no real other means of communication. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, KLM Conveyancing is our pages on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook, and obviously Kiani Mills for me. Also, you can call the office at any time zero three nine double four eight eight two eight two or email me kiani at klmconveyancing.com.au. com au. Sounds great. Thanks again. Easy, my pleasure.
0: Now. now- Next week, we have property management extraordinaire on Sophie Lyon from Jealous Craig in Borundara to talk to us about tenancy bonds and how to get your money back. Now that the new Residential Tenancies Act is in play, it will be good to see what's changed. So don't miss it. Real Estate Right is a real copyright production hosted and produced by me, Sue Langada. I would like to thank Podbean for hosting our podcast, Premium Beat for our theme music, and Francis Morello for his voiceover. Real Copyright is a leading real estate copywriting service throughout Melbourne. If you would like your property copywritten by Real Copyright, please book your copy through orders at realcopyright.com.au. If you would like us to help create more valuable real estate information for the people of Melbourne in this podcast, contact Sue at realestateright.com.au. Thanks for listening to Real Estate Right.